We're talking about the resurrection today, and in the last uh, number of weeks, last week Pastor Paul began it, and I'll conclude the next two weeks, we're looking at basic theological issues that shape our faith and mold our practice as a church. And so today we're looking at an issue that really expresses our hope. It affirms our passions. It galvanizes a position in which we live, and it shapes our choices. The Apostle Paul sums it up in 1 Corinthians 15, and please turn with me in your Bibles to that. We're going to be doing a bit of a Bible study today, going from passage to passage. So if you have a Bible, that's great. If you're in need of one, there's one in one of the chairs beside you. Take that out. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, page 961, as we begin to look at resurrection. If you're new with us, or if you've been with us for a while, you've, you've noticed that we're kind of a busy church. We've got activities we try to do for each and every age group. We do special interest things. We try to run things through every calendar component of our year. And we try to do this all with one thing in mind. To share with people the story and reality of the resurrection. And Paul sums up our challenge when we look at 1 Corinthians 15 beginning in verse 12. Now if Christ has proclaimed as risen from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and our faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testify about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. And those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. So true. If there is no resurrection, if there is no literal bodily resurrection from the dead of Jesus Christ, then our faith is useless. In fact, we are simply deluding our minds. We are simply trying to crutch ourselves up in this world of brokenness in order to make it one day to the next. Trying to gird our loins against the travesties that we face. Because if there is no resurrection, then we might as well throw our bag in with all the others on the train to hell where they say, eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. If there is no resurrection. Only in the literal and bodily resurrection do we have a message and a life that is different from everyone else around us. The Bible tells us, John in 1 John says, That which we have seen, which we have heard, which we have perceived, we pass on to you. The resurrection was something that people saw and they experienced and they enjoyed. And they knew that it was true because they could see it and experience it and touch it. When Jesus came to Thomas who was doubting after the crucifixion, there wasn't some wisp of imagination that said, Ooh, don't touch me. Rather, Jesus said, touch me, go ahead. I'm here. If there is no bodily resurrection from the dead of Jesus Christ, then our future, our hope, our present life is meaningless. Because the power of Jesus' words when he says, I am the resurrection and the life, which we will see now, is powerless if he can't provide life for us now and life in the future. 
if there is no way that we can face our, our normal challenges, then what good is it to trust God if there is no resurrection? The resurrection is the central issue upon which our faith depends. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20. In fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. The resurrection is a mystery because there's, there's components of it that are past, present, and future. We see the past part of it if you turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Page 1008. And in this story of Abraham, we have for us the presentation of God's promise to Abraham. God said that through you, I will build a nation, a promised people. And he said, it'll be through your son Isaac. Now, Abraham had two distinct sons. Ishmael, which was the fruit of a relationship with a slave woman, not the one that God was promised to to bless the world. And Isaac who came from his wife, who was beyond childbearing years, and he beyond the time of giving uh, age to, to having children. And yet God blessed them by having a son in their old age. And he said, through Isaac, the world will be blessed. And then one day God came to Abraham and said, now I want you to take your son to a place that I'm going to show you, and I want you there to sacrifice him before me. Now Abraham had two choices. The first choice is, well, God's obviously having some Alzheimer's. Because he's obviously forgotten the promise. You know, God, you said it was through Isaac that you were going to do this. So I'm just going to hold off on what you're saying because you're obviously having a bad hair day. Or he could have said the second thing, which he did, which is, God, this is your problem. You said that it was through Isaac that you were going to bless the nations. It was through Isaac that you were going to build a promised people. Okay, you want me to sacrifice him? It's your problem. There is no such thing as Isaac number two in the plans. And Hebrews tells us that in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in an act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. There is this past recognition that God can raise people from the dead. That God is the resurrection. God is the life. We see that in John chapter 11. In John chapter 11, Jesus was summoned by friends of his because they said, The one whom you love is now dead. Lazarus. And so Jesus, in going to be with Martha and Mary, came to, their, and came to them and, and Martha said, What What, you know, what happened? You know, we're, we're trusting in you, we're believing in you. And in verse 24 of chapter 11, Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. She had this hope that sometime in the future, Lazarus would come again. Jesus said to him, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Jesus says a startling thing. Before he had died, he proclaims himself the resurrection. Three distinct lessons from this one verse. I am. 
In the Old Testament, when Moses asked, who shall I say sent me? God said, I am. The God who is present, the God who is powerful, the God who is there, the God who fulfills promises, the God who cannot break his word. I am. And Jesus says, I am. Seven times in the book of John, Jesus proclaims himself as, I am. I am the way. I am the good shepherd. I am the door. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the vine. He says, I am. I am God. And then he says, the resurrection. New life. Born again. Transcending power. Jesus proclaims this promise of present reality even prior to his death. And then he says, I am the life. Thirdly, we find that there is a future component. 1 Thessalonians, page 987. 1 Thessalonians 4, beginning in verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who have fallen asleep, that you may not grieve as others who do not have hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. There's a future reality that Jesus is coming again, and we will be caught up with him the resurrection, and the life. The challenge that we face in understanding what the resurrection is is that somehow in our minds we think that there's this dichotomy, spirit, soul, and body, and that God has come to save the spirit and the soul, but the body we can do without. And that's not true. The the Gnostics that John preaches against in the Gospel of John and in 1, 2, 3, John taught the idea that there were basically two parts of the body. There was the body, the physical part, which didn't really matter, so you could do whatever you wanted in your body because it would burn anyway, but there was a spiritual part, and you must give yourself spiritually to God. So if you sinned in your body, so what? It was the spirit that mattered, and John said, whoa, wait a minute, hold off, that's not right. There is no such thing as a dichotomy between the physical and the spiritual. And we wrestle with this because it is entrenched in our modern society through Greek mythology and through the Greek thinking that there's a spirit, a soul, and a body. But Scripture never says that, that they are somehow separated. We are all one. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 6, you want to turn to that. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Page 955. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 in 19. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Our body belongs to God. When we have given our heart to Jesus Christ, it's not just our spiritual being that we've given to Jesus Christ. When we've given our soul to Jesus Christ, it's not just some, some form of, of metamorphosis that's going to happen within us. It's, it's who we are as a people. We have given our lives to Jesus Christ. 
In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we continually read that in verse 35. How are the dead raised? What kind of body do they have? And going on in verse 42 of chapter 15 of Corinthians, page 962. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown perishable will be raised imperishable. What is sown in dishonor is raised in glory. What is sown in weakness is raised in power. It is sown a natural body is raised a spiritual body. If there is also a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. He's not talking about that suddenly we be, we're changed. He goes on later on. I behold, I tell you a mystery. Verse 40, uh, 51. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the perishable body must put on imperishability, and the mortal body must put on immortality. We are changed, but we are still physical beings. The challenge also that we face is that society around us tells us that when a person dies, they simply fall asleep. They simply go into oblivion. You see, that, that part is, is, uh, is manifest or continues because all of us can't really remember what we were like before we were born. Right? I mean, we can't really... As some people would like to say that we come back again as a, as a different lifestyle, but I find that repetitive. But... Uh, We don't know what we were like before we were born, but Scripture tells us before we were born, the Lord knew us. While we were being knit together in our mother's womb, He knew our name. That's what Scripture says. So God knew us before the foundations of the earth. He knew us. And so we've got this thought in society that when you die, you simply, lights go out. And that's it. Well, that's not true. You see, people without Jesus Christ are already dead. People with Jesus Christ are resurrected. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will never die. You are resurrected. You have life in Jesus Christ now. And the death that people experience is the ongoing reality of pain, of sorrow, of of misguidedness. And we're going to look at that, what that all looks like. But people who, who experience death are going to continually die. Revelations 21. Turn to that. Revelations 21, 8. Page 1041. Uh, Let's begin in verse 7. The one who conquers will have this inheritance. That's the one who who comes to faith, the one who follows Jesus Christ. I will be his God and he will be my son. So we're called sons of God. We're called children of God as we give our heart to Jesus Christ. Then he goes on. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexual immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. There is a physical second death, which means that they will constantly experience death. Death is not the obliteration of lights. It's the absence of life. The absence of life is to be separated from Jesus Christ. It's to experience all the things that God has given us for life. Jesus says when he is coming again that there will be a new heaven and a new earth, a new creation. Those who have their life in Jesus Christ will experience a new creation. They will experience the body of Christ. We will be joined together with others who are called by Jesus' name. We will have fellowship with one another. We will walk in the light as Jesus is the light. That's our future hope and our present reality. As the church gathers together, we're going to talk about that next week. As the church gathers together, 
we walk in fellowship with one another because of Jesus Christ and because of his resurrection. But those who will die the second time means that they will physically experience ongoing death, separation from others, separation from God, consumed by sin. It will be a physical reality. How do we know that? Because Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. And if Jesus did not rise from the dead, then all we preach is futile. And if that part's not true, then how can we determine that once you have died, separated from Jesus Christ, that that nothing will ever happen? This is a stark reality of the resurrection. Where there is life, there is the absence of life. The absence of life is ongoing death. We will not all sleep, Corinthians tells us in verse 51. The mystery before us that we will be changed. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your sting? The power of death, the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through Jesus Christ. Death is not final. When our life here on earth comes to an end, we continually live with Jesus. The resurrection of the life is freeing us from the bonds of death, from the bonds of sin. The resurrection brings us to a place of enjoying life with Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, turn back to that please. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning in verse 13, page 957. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, free from idolatry. What's he saying here? The enemy of our soul, Satan, wants to come and destroy us. He wants to bring temptation into our life. And he does. But the enemy, the Satan, is never a creator. He's always an imitator. All temptation that comes into our life is such that it's common to man. It has been around the block. But it comes into our life, but what happens? Jesus creates a way of escape. Jesus is the creator. We do not have a cookie-cutter way of escape. He provides it for us directly because why? In Revelations, we are called sons of God. We are his children. And he loves us. And those whom he loves, he provides what? A way of escape. The temptation that comes into our life also is accompanied by the leading of God to provide a way out. If this were not true, it's because the resurrection didn't happen. We are not puppets. In this society being jerked around by every whim and fancy and lust. Jesus provides a way of escape. Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, page 975. But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For those are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. 
sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envies, drunkenness, orgies, and things like that, the modern TV shows. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions. If you live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Jesus says we can walk by the Spirit of God. We can allow the Spirit of God who has come into our life to be transforming us and changing us and bringing within us not simply a spiritual fruit. It's not that we simply look into ourselves and say, yes, I'm kinder today. Oh, I'm so full of joy today. I'm such a forgiving soul today. And not live that out. We live that out in the relationships around us that God has brought into our lives. And as people see our forgiveness, they begin to question us. Why are you so forgiving? As they see our faithfulness, they begin to wonder what we are to do. For Paul says in Corinthians, he gives a promise to those who are living with unbelieving spouses that God would provide for them and God would be with them as they live faithfully for him. As we live steadfast, as we live with kindness and joy and patience and love and goodness. These things are not natural product of our own character, but these things are rooted and bred and nurtured in the presence and person of Jesus Christ. And as they overwhelm our, our insides to become the expression of how we live with other people, people look at that and say, why? It's because of Jesus Christ. First Peter tells us we do our good deeds. We are salt and light in the world so that people may give their praise to God. And what do we do? When somebody asks us, why do you live like that? Or when we come into conversation, we have the right to come into a conversation with somebody about Jesus Christ because of our good deeds, because of how we are living. And they say, okay, I understand how you're living. Now tell me why. I understand you're talking about Jesus Christ. Now tell me why. Why is it that we respond as a nation, as a, as, a, as a Christian group, to the suffering that's happening in Pakistan? Not because they deserve it, but because God loved us and loves them. Why is it that we send missionaries around the world to places that are closed to the gospel, that are hardened to the gospel, because God loves them? And how will they hear unless somebody goes? When we live by the Spirit, we are freed from the, from the grip of death. And we know we just had that list of what that means. All these diversions and addictions. And we say to ourselves, but I'm addicted. I can't get rid of this thing. Well, is God too small? Is God's hand so short? That he can't free you from that addiction. Anger. Jealousy. Some form of abuse that you've inflicted upon yourself. Is God too small? Is the resurrection simply limited to one simple boop in history? Or hasn't he come to promise you new life? A new life of surrender in Jesus Christ. Life in Christ means that He's controlling our passions. He's controlling our desires. He's controlling our cravings. 
And why is the resurrection so important? 1 Corinthians again sums it up. 15, 16. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. If there is no resurrection, we are dead. Not just a future death, but a present death. And just as there is a a real resurrection, there is a real life. Jesus tells us this victory is in Christ. How then should we live? How are we then to live in the presence of this resurrection? Galatians chapter 2 tells us, page 973. I have been crucified with Christ, verse 20. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith, by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The life I live now is the result of Christ living in me. Jesus says, Come unto me, all who are weak and heavy laden, and find rest for your souls. Take my yoke upon you. Join yourself with me. When we crucify ourselves with Christ, what we are doing is we are joining ourselves with Christ. We are saying, my old self I want to give up. And I want to live the way Jesus you live. And I want to live the way you want me to live. And so I'm going to live by faith. And how am I going to nurture my faith? I'm going to nurture my faith in the leading of your spirit. And I'm going to nurture my faith in the reading of your word because the word we believe is true. It's not simply some recorded gibberish put down so many years ago by some incensed nomad. These are the words of God from his heart to our heart so that we may learn of him and grow in him and understand who he is and realize that when he tells us something, he gives us the strength and the power to accomplish it. When he tells us we are to, to live our, or we are to love our enemies, he gives us the strength and power to do that. When he tells us we are to seek after justice, he gives us the strength and power to do that. When he tells us that blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted, we understand that. Because his word cannot fail. Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, page 942, verse 6. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. We have been set free from the power of death. We have been set free from the power of sin. We have been set free from the power of lifelessness. The Apostle John tells us in John chapter 16. When Jesus instructs his disciples, John chapter 16, page 902. When the spirit of truth comes, verse 13, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Spirit of God will lead us and guide us to Christ. He will make us alive in him. As we surrender ourselves to his leading and guiding and empowering. 
Our hope is that we are alive in Christ and He will be with us. Our position is that it is no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. Our passion is that others may hear the saving faith that we enjoy. Turn to Romans chapter 10. I find this passage so incredibly motivating. Romans chapter 10, page 946. Verse 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Two things. You're going to be saved. You're going to have life. You're going to have resurrection. You're going to be transformed. You're going to be a changed person. No longer are you going to be controlled by the passions of death. You are going to be controlled by the power of life. How? If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, what does that mean? You're in charge. I'm going to do everything I can, Lord Jesus, to to let you be in charge and let you be the one that's guiding me. And if that means that I study your word and if that means that I come across a passage that is hard to understand and hard to live out, I'm going to trust you anyway because I trust your word. And somehow you're going to make that promise alive in my heart. We confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that he is the resurrection. And the little reality of his resurrection is now present in my life. We are transformed. That's our passion. It shapes our choices. Our body is the temple of God. And how we live and what we do with it is a reflection of how we have allowed God to control us. The practical expression of our faith is seen through our freedom. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. I am free. Not to be controlled by sin, but be empowered by His life. It gives us integrity. We live with transparency, not hidden. Not hiding how we live on Monday from what we do on Sunday. But it is only possible in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So let me ask you a couple of questions. Is there something in your life right now that is short-circuiting your new life in Christ? Philippians chapter 4, turn with me to that. One of the things that often short-circuits our passion for Jesus Christ, our devotion to Him, is fear. Rejoice in the Lord. Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, page 982. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Here is the prayer that is based upon a real person, Christ Jesus. If Jesus is not raised, then he cannot give peace. If Jesus is not raised, he cannot give understanding. If Jesus is not raised, he cannot take our fears and anxieties and wipe them away with his presence. But he is, and he does, because he is alive. What has short-circuited your faith and trust in Jesus Christ today? Is it fears? Then present 
your requests to God. Rejoice. And the peace of God, which is more than simply some internal feeling, it's the presence of the power of our risen Savior, will guard your hearts and minds as it sins. 2 Timothy 2, 2 warns us. 2 Timothy 2, 22, sorry. 2 Timothy 2, 22, page 996. Flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord with from a pure heart. We need to flee sins. God hasn't made us puppets that anything that comes along our way, we suddenly have to, oh dear, I just slipped again. We read earlier that there is no temptation but such as is common to man, and God has created, God has made a way of escape. Flee the sin. You may be thinking, well, I just can't do it. I go on my computer and before I know it, oh, I just can't do it. Unplug the thing. I just can't do it. I drive down the road and I have to stop at the liquor store and I just want one beer, but I end up getting six and I drink them all and I just, oh, I just can't do it. Take a different road. Flee youthful sins. 1 Corinthians 15 tells us the greatest fear that we face, and that is death. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? When we go into palliative care, death is palpable. Fear is real. But the victory of Jesus Christ is even more real. And the power we have in Jesus Christ is not only seen, but it's felt and it's encouraged and it's, and it's nurtured as the, bond, as, as the bounds of death are broken and the victory of Jesus Christ is realized. Death does not have mastery over us. The resurrection makes all the difference in the world, both life now and forevermore. So why is it that we're a busy place? And why is it that we do lots of stuff? It's so that people may experience the resurrection for themselves. And in experiencing the resurrection, they may have life. Now and forevermore. You may have been coming to our church for a while and you've, you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and, and you're beginning to wrestle that through as far as what does it mean to live in devotion to Him each and every day, allowing the Word of God to shape you and mold you and transform you, allowing the Spirit of God to, to come upon you and change you. And He says, you know, I want people to understand where I am. I'm a new person. Well, we have a practice called baptism that we do. We've got a class this Wednesday. And if you're thinking of God is leading you through baptism in order to express your faith to others around you, come on out to the class. Let the office know so we can have the materials ready. But it's this Wednesday at 7 o'clock. We also have Bible studies. And the reason we gather in small groups, the reason the women meet on Tuesdays in order for their Bible studies to, group, to, to meet together and you can sign up for them outside. And the reason for all this is so that we can be shaped by the Word of God. Because the resurrection is real. And we want it to shape us. And we want it to transform us. And we get together in small groups in order to allow the Bible to speak to us. 
You talk to Peter and you talk to Will about joining a small group and you talk to the women about joining a women's group about that. And if this is something new to you, wow, I'm just exploring all this. Where does faith fit into my life and how does the Bible work? We're going to start a 10-week series in the fall called Exploration where you can learn about the Bible and how it can transform your life and that's going to be on Monday nights. You're going to want to sign up for something like that. And why is it that we gather together and often in our gathering together we have food? We don't do that simply to show off our different recipes. We do that to celebrate what God is doing in our life. And we may encourage one another that in our gathering together, we may share the things of God with one another. That we can share with one another the prayer requests that we have. You know, I've had a really tough week. Can you pray with me? Yes, I've had a tough week, but God has been faithful. Let me tell you about it. Yes. And the next one we're going to do is September the 11th, and we're going to be out at Arbutus. And you're going to want to come because it's going to be a great time. And we gather together in order that we, may be, that we may build one another up and encourage one another in our faith and in our walk with Jesus Christ. And why is it that we pray for missionaries? And why is it that we gather together? And today we're going to gather right after this service and we're going to pray where the, where the Lord is leading us as a, as a church and as a, as a missions team for next Sunday. Why is that? That we do those kind of things. Because we believe that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is so important that we need to send people to tell people who've never heard yet. And we want to encourage people to go around the world. And we want to encourage people to go across the street. And we want to encourage people to go into their neighborhoods. And we want to encourage people to go into their workplaces and be a witness for Jesus Christ. To simply live and tell and speak about what God is doing in their lives. And if you want to join us for prayer to discern where God is leading us, you come right after the service and we're going to do that. And why is it that we do what we do as a church? Well, next Sunday, if you're new with us, we're having to discover us, and you can phone the church and let them know you want to come, and you'll discover why it is we do what we do. It's because of the resurrection and the power of God to transform lives. Next week, we're going to be talking about the church's community. And we're going to be talking about how we take this resurrection and the person and presence of Jesus Christ and how we begin to live that out with one another and in our community.